the Mortal Yogi Podcast with me, Dougal Meacham. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good whenever you are, good wherever you are. We are going to dive into the deep and rich cultural and practical history that is um, the Taoist uh, tradition today. The Taoist tradition is one of the, I find, most inspiring um, philosophies and systems which has given birth to so many different um, cool from the super practical ideas uh, to the most ethereal and uh, most abstract, wonderful poetry, art, etc. And, um, you know, everything from Chinese medicine and acupuncture and including herbalism, uh, moxibustion, the idea of qi and qi being a, an integral part of healthy uh, human life and uh, a healthy um, world, a healthy universe. Uh, to Tai Chi, to uh, things like yin yoga, um, qigong, and uh, of course meditation practices and uh, wonderful texts like the Dao De, Lao Tzu's Dao De Jing um, and meditation um, mindfulness uh, techniques which are so um, so popular and so well thought of today. So it's a big beast to dive into. We've got less than an hour. Um, I'd like to begin our, our, our dive um, by um, talking about uh, a painting which is called the San Suan Tu. The San Suan Tu, the three sours picture, uh, is a wonderful um, Taoist, humorous Taoist painting, which has been um, uh, redone and remade uh, over the centuries, over the years. Um, and it draws a picture of three fairly old men around a huge vat of vinegar. The three men are about to taste the vinegar and the, Dao the painting is a Taoist painting. Um, and from the Taoist perspective, the men's reaction to tasting the vinegar is going to um, encapsulate the three old men's uh, out, outlook on life. The three old men um, are Confucius, Lao Tzu, who is often seen as the founder of classical Taoism, and uh, the Buddha. And um, the Buddha tastes the, uh, the vinegar first, and uh, he kind of screws up his face and goes, oh, bitter, life is suffering. Confucius, who is kind of the um, rules maker, he is the formalism, he is mainstream culture's representative, if you like, also screws up his face when he tastes the vinegar and says, mm, you know what would make this much better is if we put some sugar in it. And uh, Lao Tzu, the Taoist, takes a small spoon of the vinegar, sips it, and, and swallows it and says, Mmm, that's good vinegar. Each man's expression represents the predominant attitude of their philosophies. Confucians saw life as sour in need of rules to correct the degeneration of society and people. Buddhism sees life as possibly bitter, dominated by pain and suffering. But Taoism sees life as fundamentally good in its natural state. And so a painting, this painting is three teachings, if you like, in one. Taoism, as Lao Tzu tastes the vinegar, he does not expect uh, any change. He knows that it's going to be vinegar. He knows it's going to taste like vinegar. And he expects vinegar when it reaches his tongue, reaches his lips which is his taste buds, and he's not surprised. And he says, yeah, it's vinegar. What did you expect? Taoism is one of the oldest, what they would call natural ideas of, uh, of, of living. Its main aims are not to fight against what is, is and always is, 
and to reduce the struggle in life, if you like. Sometimes it can be seen as a kind of defeatist, not going, not trying to improve things. The Taoists would always ask, well, what are you trying to improve? There, another diagram which, is, which shows very much uh, the, the Taoist idea is the yin-yang symbol, which is a picture, picture of uh, two, looks like a black fish and a white fish kind of entwined around each other. And the picture is there really to explain and to represent that life is always moving from one of two opposites over to the other opposites. For example, in the deepest of night must come day. From the shiniest sun of the sunniest summer afternoon must come nighttime. From summer, autumn must come. From the yang of hot in weather, temperature, relationships, ideas, must come a cooler, less dominant, less dynamic aspect of reality. The phases of the moon show this. The uh, stages of our life show this from the s s uh, simple, soft weaknesses of the baby child through to the uh, strength of 20s and 30s and slowly moving down to a more intellectual possibly but certainly less physically strong uh, middle age and, and quiet age of of a human's lifespan Taoism is a is a system which looks at cycles Taoism doesn't see history as linear or necessarily as cause and effect because a happens therefore B happens it's just that because there is a Sun there must be a moon because there's an up there must be a down if there's a man there must be a, a feminine aspect and if there's me there must be you now Taoism has been around a long long time at least 5,000 years and we're going to dance through these 5,000 years over the next 45 minutes or so. Got your hats on? So I spent mo most of my life uh, in Asia. Specifically, I spent 20 years in Hong Kong and Taiwan. And if you're a European or American, just I'd like to stop for a moment and give you an idea of the size of China. When I flew from Hong Kong to uh, to London, for example, on a 12-hour flight. Six hours of those 12 hours were over China. After I'd left uh, Hong Kong and flown into middle China, there is desert and mountains and vast grasslands, which take three hours before we get into Kazakhstan or into southern Russia, and then the rest of the flight would be there. And Lao Tzu, the founder of classical Taoism, spent most of his life where many of you uh, may most be familiar with Sichuan. Sichuan is the home of spicy hot pots and chili food in China. Very, 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 very well loved um, in China for its for its food. And China, uh, at that time, Sichuan province was right on the edges of kind of the frontier of of Han uh, populated Chinese Han, the main um, uh, racial. Um, group which makes up uh, the Chinese population. Lao Tzu lived uh, in the period of what we call um, classical uh, Taoism, which is pre pre uh, BCE in the before the Common Era, before uh, Jesus Christ's birth. Uh, but he spent his life um, in shamanistic society. Shamanism, as with so many old cultures, uh, was very, very deeply interwoven with China's uh, old history, just like it is with uh, the uh, Australasian Aboriginals or the South American um, Mayan people or the North American Indians, and just like it is in Europe and in Africa. Shamanism was a system which in which people were 
in some mythology even able to change shapes in the kind of lord of the rings kind of beyond uh, the ship shapeshifter from man to bear they were able to move from man to animal even from animal uh, to plants and they were able to talk with nature to talk with animals to talk with even the weather and the storms and the seasons these these shamans were not only had um, these abilities but they were often seen as um, the people which could help man's balance with nature china as you may know until very recently had a huge problem with river flooding particularly the yellow and yangtze rivers which flow all the way from tibetan mountains across the huge country which is china and so the first mythical emperor we're still not sure whether he was and his dynasty was actually around was Yu the great Yu the great or Yu Daren was possibly a shaman he was known for uh, being able to change from a man to a bear and he was often seen surfing a turtle kind of kind of uh, uh, surfboard style on the rivers of China it was upon one of those uh, um, turtles that the Ba Gua uh, or one of the uh, very important yin yang kind of interpretive tools was first um, discovered he was supposed to have seen the you know like on the on a turtle they have um, lots of patterns on their back he was supposed to have seen a mix of symbols which would help him understand uh, how yin and yang worked in the in the universe to make up our reality Taoism from its very earliest early age ages on saw two kind of ingredients if you like or forces at work or or unknowns which mix together in various amounts to allow us to experience all of the difference in the universe from the hard stones to the soft water from uh, the uh, from the fire to the air air would be generally more yin less easy to see less easy to experience and fire and rocks and other obvious things would be much easier uh, to explain and he saw on the back of a turtle uh, lines uh, in threes triagrams so for example three solid parallel lines stacked on top of each other would be three solid yang lines would be a maximum amount of yang in the thing which you are analyzing or thinking about three broken yin lines stacked on top of each other would be maximum yin and you could mix these broken yin and yang lines in in triads together and try and understand things that you saw you darren or that you the great even apparently saw these lines in the constellations of the sky and he was a ruler and many of the shamans in early Taoism were were those who would help the ruling class negotiate um, both weather for planting crops but also the shifting tides of yin and yang in the universe which would help them understand when to for example launch a war or defend themselves against a, a neighboring territory when to engage in diplomacy when to when would be a good time to make visits or make large decisions and i think wonderfully many of the shaman uh, really were not men at all they were women shamans were very very often women the female character and the female um, uh, nature was seen as often being as more listening more able to understand uh, the uh, subtleties of a very complex universe and if you go to Beijing the capital of modern China today you will see that the temple of heaven for example if you google it as you're listening to this the temple of heaven is a small round building but the rest of the temple is simply a mount so that a shaman and a ruler could look at the sky look at the universe and understand the mix of yin and yang 
in in the situation and in the context which they found themselves in. So Lao Tzu, the founder of uh, Taoism, was born somewhere around 500 BC, and he was a disgruntled and uh, disillusioned, um, educated literati uh, librarian, apparently, who eventually gave up um, his his will and his trying to influence um, the rulers and his time in China. China was a very, very uh, messy uh, state, lots of small nations fighting each other. And he wandered off towards the West. And it's said that um, just before he got to uh, the uh, boundary with the desert, one of the uh, guards there says, well, if you're going to disappear, wise old man, please write down everything that you know and tell us how we could live better and more fulfilling lives. And his book, the Tao Te Ching, or sometimes called Tao Te Ching, uh, same, same thing, different spelling, is the first book of classical Taoism. In that book, so many jewels of uh, wisdom, but he lays down uh, the idea that happiness, contentment, and an easy approach to life is best. Not necessarily that there won't be confrontation, there won't be hardship, but there are patterns in life, just like there are patterns as you look at water flowing down a river. You can see an easy way, and you can see a hard way to go. And his, his book is on ruling, how to live a life, and how to uh, consider health. There are many, many, it's a book of uh, small poems and each one, the book has been translated several hundred times into English alone, is a little ode to how you can generally have less effort, less intensity and less fight with a life. I highly recommend it as a book to have in the bathroom. It's not exactly a book that you read every day and you would... Um, uh, or read from cover to cover in one sitting. Lao Tzu was succeeded after he wandered off into the desert writing a book. And by the way, one of the wonderful things in his book is he says that um, the first chapter, in fact, is Dao Ke Dao Fei Chang Dao Ming Ke Ming Fei Chang Ming He says that you can talk about the Tao, but that's not the real Tao. You can write about it, but that's not the real Tao. But yet, he wrote a book on what Taoism is. <laughs> so Taoists are always making big statements, and they are always um, making strong statements, always to draw our mind to the fact that if you really want to understand life, really want to understand um, how to be happy. You cannot write it down and follow specific lists. There is no recipe. Just like if you ask a, f a famous musician, for example, Louis Armstrong was once asked, Louis, what is jazz? And he responded, if you have to ask, you don't know. Music is not something which you can quantify or look at on notes on a page. Real music is an experience and live music every musician will know is different every time so laozi was trying to explain something which cannot be explained the secret of life is not a, a, a distinct formula or there's not a right way which we should all do everything he was um, succeeded by the most famous um, uh, chinese um, philosophers of their time, Zhuangzi and Liezi. And Zhuangzi wrote his own book called the Zhuangzi, and Liezi wrote his own book called the Liezi, which are far more flowing. And Zhuangzi has uh, a wonderful characteristic in that he's also wonderfully funny. Many of the stories which he talks about are just, are just funny. Many Chinese children learn about them, and Liezi also. Liezi was supposed to be so easygoing that he became and so light and so uh, so um, 
happy, if you like, that he was actually able to float off the floor. He said, uh, uh, or he's described in a book as having his mind according with his body and his body according with his energies and his energies according with nothing. And whenever the faintest thing or the faintest sound affects me, whether it's far away beyond the borderlands or close between my eyebrows and my lashes, I know it. However, I do not know whether I perceived it with my senses or through my heart and through my belly. It's simply the self. Taoism is full of poetry, full of kind of hinting at uh, true experience, if you like. It's the antithesis to the Confucian analysis. If you have A, then B. If you have this, then we must do that. If I'm sick, then I must do this. If I'm this was successful this time, that means I can do that time. The kind of um, uh, uh, cause and effect, which of course we have very popular in uh, in our modern Western uh, society, society, even psychology, like Freud, for example. If you were uh, abused as a child, something is going to come up as an adult. Very much causality. Taoism is is the antithesis to this and would argue along with some uh, Western uh, psychologists or philosophers who will disagree with Freud um, that you cannot simply say A, therefore B. I am depressed uh, and that's the reason why. There is a much simpler way of analyzing um, uh, life and it's nothing to do with causality. Anyway, I digress. Chinese art and food and garden design and music is hugely impacted by um, Taoism. If you ever go to a Chinese uh, museum or a museum with classical Chinese art in it, there will be pictures of landscapes. They're called Shan Shui Tu, mountain and river paintings. And often they have quirky names. For example, the one I'm looking at right now is called Two Men Playing Chess. And you look at the painting, which is at least at least uh, seven feet high, well over two meters high and a meter wide. And you cannot see anybody at first glance. What you see is mountains with mist and clouds and a river below them and a lake below them, trees. And after searching for maybe 10, 20 seconds, you begin to realize there are huts on the mountain. And if you were to get, gaze into the painting even further, you would eventually notice that there are two men playing Go, the Chinese chess game, in one of these huts. Chinese art, although it's often uh, seen as uh, for art's sake, beautiful paintings, beautiful drawings, is also has a philosophical message down in it. We are always drawn to um, ourselves, to our experience. But the Taoist philosophy in true yin-yang uh, is drawing our awareness that if there is us, there must be the other. If there is two men playing chess in a hut, there must be something outside the hut which contains the hut. There are many, many paintings like this. A man fishing, for example, would be a tiny, tiny little dot on a huge several meters long and high painting, which you have to spend hours, maybe even with a looking glass, trying to find out where they are. We are always being drawn in Taoist art to the other. Just like Lao Tzu says, we cannot talk about Taoism. Well, Chinese art says, if we are going to talk about ourselves, we must also talk about the other. There must be something else, which is necessary for us to truly understand reality. Often, you know, you and I will say things like, I think this and I believe that. And Taoism will say, ah, if you really want to understand the reality of a situation, what you think and what you believe is one thing, but that's only one part of a much richer, broader, more complex uh, context. So Chinese art and Chinese Taoism philosophy with its yin-yang um, idea also is at the time of in uh, several hundreds BC 
when Chinese medicine begins to um, grow and as a as a tradition and as a discipline and as a science. And there are many pictures like the Neijing Tu, which show the body also very much like a mountain landscape with rivers and microclimates and forests and animals and uh, winds and rain and muddy swamps and dry areas. Chinese medicine and any of you who have ever been to a Chinese doctor will often talk about heat and cold and dry and wind. Very kind of almost ecological um, uh, environmental uh, topographical geographical words when talking about health and that's because Chinese medicine sees the body as a part of the yin-yang uh, balance in life and therefore when you're looking at the body you're going to be looking at these very same things just now inside our skin and our bones and acupuncture and moxibustion toina things like yin yoga and qigong and daoyin which are physical practices are always at manipulating and working with yin and yang values and tendencies in our in our body the huangdi neijing the emperor's yellow classic was written uh, around 400 BC just after Laozi and is now one of the uh, required textbooks even today for modern Chinese doctors. Now you can see how these ideas, just like any good idea, could become a religion. So Taoism has become a religion over time in China and if you go uh, particularly to mountains where you will find Taoists, the remoter the better. You will see temples with Lao Tzu who has become deified. You will see the yin-yang symbol. You will see the Ba Gua, B-A-G-U-A uh, picture. And you will see uh, monks and uh, scriptures and lay people. This all happened um, in China after uh, after Laozi and Liezi and Zhuangzi, now into the Common Era, and into between 200 BC and 6700 uh, AD, um, Chinese uh, Taoism became one of the main forces, along with Buddhism and Confucianism, which played a role in Chinese society. Chinese society, until very recently, had these two kind of dominant um, forces. Uh, in life, which you could always refer to, all these two thought thought systems in life, which we could also always refer to and try and understand how to lead our life. Confucianism was always the kind of the business and relation and formal relationships and government, how to do things, how to order things, uh, how to have um, processes, even ritual for every aspect of life. And you can imagine in a society which is so. Um, structured like this way in Japan, modern-day Japan, hugely influenced by Confucianism. You can see why there needs to be another system to kind of let off steam and just let things happen and uh, allow things to go with the flow, if you like. And Taoism has played this rule over the centuries. There is also um, um, mystical... Uh, I think a yogi, an Indian yogi, would understand it um, as alchemical aspects, i.e. of trying to transform some parts of body energies, for example, yin or yang, into another type of yin or yang energy in the body, just like in kundalini yoga where you're allowing, where you're encouraging kundalini rising or shakti and shiva to, to mix together inside the spine. These aspects of meditation and... Uh, herbal even using um, drugs and specific elements to try and affect yin and yang in the body often uh, gained popularity through the ages um, sometimes to disastrous effects sometimes uh, wonderfully uh, there was a time where um, mercury for example was seen as a possibly um, one of the um, drugs which could bring uh, immortality and there are great stories of emperors and people in the royal family trying this, obviously, to disastrous effect. So, Taoism, but alchemical Taoism has a wonderful 
um, spin-off in that the alchemical Taoists were scientists, they were herbalists, and anyone who's um, mixed with Chinese medicine will know that it has a wonderful herbalist rich history. And not that we're all looking for immortality, although some of you may be. You can use herbs and a mix of a mix of things taken in a certain way to work with often very many long-term um, uh, illnesses, which often a Western doctor will just kind of shake their heads at and say, there's nothing I can do. Chinese medicine is very, very good at long-term chronic uh, illnesses. And where I lived in Hong Kong uh, so much of my life, that's exactly how Hong Kong people use Chinese medicine. If you've got a long-term thing which is hard to work with, go to a Chinese doctor. If you've got a short thing like a broken leg or a cold, um, go to a Western doctor. And in with um, uh, acupuncture and moxibustion and um, herbal medicine, we also in the alchemical tradition have uh, qigong. Qigong is another way which is very useful in working with qi. Qi is uh, an expression of yin and yang and will be seen in, as an energy, as a, as a quality of everything in the universe, even experiences and emotions. So it is the uh, quality of an, of an atmosphere in a room as you walk into a rock concert or into a lively party or into a room where you know where someone has died or passed away before you even get into the room you can feel the chi of a space and um, the Chinese word for atmosphere in fact is exactly exactly this chi fen how is the how is the atmosphere uh, in that place where we're going to the quality of the chi and chi for for yogis is nothing new that's exactly the same word as uh, you would use for prana for modern people who are not used to chi or prana are not totally up with that you can use um, ideas like electricity we know that is an electricity in charge in our body we know that um, we are full of energy or not full of energy we know that certain times of the year in different climes have a very different feel to them chinese taoism and chinese medicine have taken this idea and really gone with it and qi gong working with qi is a huge part of physical health and wellness there are three levels of practice in taoism there is that for the physical there is that for the crudely physical, like the flesh and bones of your body. There is that for the chi of your body, which often has uh, an emotional and psychological aspect to it. Your stress, your state of mind, your beliefs about yourself. And there is the purely psychological and um, thinking aspect of, our, of ourselves and our health, which is an aspect of often meditation. Um, and if you are ever with a Chinese doctor or in these circles, we're always encouraged to uh, consider these three aspects of our health. Are you doing things in life which are good for your physical body? Are you working with your emotional uh, state? Are you working with your belief systems? And if not, or if one is deficient, mm, then health may be compromised or may not, you may not live as long and uh, a full life as you may like to. Now, we cannot talk about Taoism uh, without taking a slight sidebar, a slight side road off into a forest, um, which will rejoin, come and rejoin the main um, path in, uh, of Taoism that we're talking about. But we must talk about Zen Buddhism. Zen Buddhism is a very, very curious flavor of Buddhism, uh, which um, is now probably best known in Japan. Zen is a Japanese word, but Zen is a translation of Chan. And Chan, Chan Fu Jiao, is a, is a 
very different flavor and tradition of Buddhism, certainly compared to Indian Buddhism, although there is good study that there is much uh, in Chan Buddhism which has many, much in, much in relationship with some of um, uh, Tantric schools in northern India uh, and Tibet and Nepal. Around 500 CE, and of course this is a long time ago, there is a very uh, famous and very uh, fat Buddhist monk who came to China called Bodhidharma. Anyone in martial arts knows him because he's often um, accorded uh, inventing several martial arts styles. But Bodhidharma was a, was a Indian Buddhist monk who came to China um, in the 500s and proceeded to insult many Chinese emperors by telling them that they were not getting any good karma, anything good happen happening in their life by simply building temples and throwing money around at uh, spiritual people. Uh, they had to actually get into the practice themselves. It was not enough just to kind of make the, make the formality and make the structures and make the systems. That's the Confucianist approach to life. You had to get your feet dirty and you had to do Taoist and Zen uh, and Buddhist practices if you wanted to get those uh, fruits of what, um, of what these pr practices promised. And Bodhidharma, having insulted all of these emperors, went off to a cave and uh, is famously uh, uh, supposed to have uh, sliced off his eyelids, which is uh, <laughs> extreme, to keep his eyes open so that he wouldn't fall asleep, and uh, proceeded to sit down in a cave and uh, meditate, where he's supposed to have watched the ants uh, on the wall screaming. Um, again, a very poetic um, idea. If you sat down somewhere quiet, eventually even ants on the wall would become um, loud. And eventually uh, he became uh, this man sitting in a cave, um, just being, um, became famous. And uh, so many uh, people came to visit him to see if they would be accepted as his student. Bodhidharma said no, but eventually um, his first disciple uh, gained some type of uh, enlightenment or knowledge when he asked Bodhidharma to pacify his anxious mind. And Bodhidharma said, bring me your mind and I'll pacify it for you. But Huika said, I've looked for my mind, but I can't find it. And Bodhidharma is supposed to have replied, there, I've pacified your mind. If you can't find it, there is nothing to pacify. Huika is supposed to have gone, Oh, totally, you're right. And realize that so many of the things that we complicate, so much of the searching that we are put ourselves out there to do and, and achievement that we set out to achieve is, is a complication of which is not necessary. So a, uh, a lineage, apparently, it's obviously very far back in our rearview mirror of history to know, the lineage from Bodhidharma goes down through the ages and this lineage is very, very much loved and accepted and grows in China and particularly in Japan. Zen Buddhism with its very simple, non-messy, non-complex, not overdoing it, not overthinking it approach to Buddhism is grown out of this merging of Taoist thought and philosophy and Buddhist um, Buddhist ideas and Buddhist goals uh, for life. Um, there is so much um, beautiful poetry. For example, a, a uh, 20th century, he was late, late into his late hun uh, early hundreds by the time he wrote this. Shu um, Yun, uh, Empty Cloud, wrote this um, reflection on his moment when he realized that life was easy. A cup fell to the ground, with the sound clearly heard, and as space was pulverized, my mad mind came to a stop. Reality in Taoism, in Zen Buddhism, is not a, not a cause and effect. 
endless stream of things which we cannot work with. There are moments in time and eventually all moments in time are simply arnas and are what Xu Yun there calls his mad mind. Many Buddhists would call their monkey mind. The string of endless, ceaseless thought which we cannot stop just simply stops. And there you are. If you are Liedza floating on the wind, if you are Xu Yun, simply empty, simply there, simply being. Now, Zen Buddhism has a wonderful history and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, towards the end as we close out this. But obviously, as we enter the 20th century, China has a huge um, uh, um, internal struggle, eventually leading um, to its, its war with itself, uh, which communist, the communist uh, government eventually, uh, which became the communist government, eventually wins. And s Chinese had been leaving China to go and find uh, life and to live out um, in, a le in less turbulent, less tumultuous times around the world. And this flow of people um, grew and became a flood into the 19th and 20th centuries. Very sad for many of the individuals um, who had to leave and their, their country and their culture. But it's a great blessing to us as Westerners because as the Chinese dynastic system and China's uh, politics and the country broke up, so many of its wonderful um, practitioners in the Taoist system, along with every other system, like the restaurant system, if, you, <laughs> if you're anywhere in the world, there's always a Chinese takeaway somewhere near you. But the Taoist system also became one of China's great exports. And you will see in any, any town or city where there are many Chinese people, Chinese doctors, uh, people practicing Qigong, and maybe even Zen Buddhist um, places and centers where you can, where you can um, practice. So over the 20th century, there is a huge mixing of Taoist culture with fairly mainstream um, Western ideas. North America, for example, in New York, several places throughout the States have a huge, fairly old, over a hundred year um, history of uh, Zen Buddhist centers and teachers. There are some of the best 20th century Chinese um, uh, Qigong teachers in Europe uh, were women. Uh, for example, um, uh, Geddes uh, and uh, I've just forgotten her name, Sophia Delza uh, in North America and uh, Gerda Geddes in Germany who brought their styles of, who learned their styles of Tai Chi uh, from their Chinese um, teachers who'd left China. Then you have, now we're on um, martial arts, you have figures like Bruce Lee and his teacher Yip Man. Yip Man is uh, uh, now being played out uh, by famous Hong Kong actor Donnie Yen in a four-movie uh, series, which I highly recommend going to see. Uh, but his student, Bruce Lee, uh, of course, took the world by storm with his uh, very explosive and very simple uh, martial arts style that he called Jeet Kune Do. And Jeet Kune Do, one of his most famous, one of his most famous philosophies for his style was be water, my friend. Very, very Taoist idea. Don't block and try and parry and force your way uh, with your energy against no matter who you're fighting. Go with the flow of what is happening. So from martial arts to uh, Chinese medicine. And then there are uh, Zen Buddhists like Thich Nhat Hanh and Mantak Chia uh, and others who are, uh, who are uh, find themselves in the West. And we begin to have a, a gentle understanding of this uh, tradition. Zen teachers like D.T. Suzuki, who was very, very well respected in, in the West, particularly in North America, where he set up um, uh, universities there and was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1963. 
has, for example, a wonderful saying. When we feel anxious or depressed, instead of asking, what do I need to get happy? The question becomes, what am I doing to disturb the inner peace I already have? Compared to modern day help books, what can I do? And I got to do this and that and that and that and set up a whole complex plan of finding a path to happiness. It's a very Confucian way. Taoism, Zen influenced, uh, Taoist influenced Zen Buddhism says, there's nothing you need to do. You actually need to let go of stuff. You already have everything you need. You simply need to consider this and let go. So many uh, famous teachers were influenced like this. Alan Watts is a very uh, notable example. Um, as I've mentioned, Thich Nhat Hanh. There are many uh, schools of Yang, Tai Chi, Chen style Tai Chi, um, monkey Kung Fu. And coming to uh, Kung Fu styles, this brings us into um, where many people listening to this will know me and know my uh, kind of coming together with, um, I studied uh, Yang style uh, Tai Chi way back in uh, as a student in Taiwan and uh, later in Hong Kong. Um, and I've, I've been a, a, a wonderful affectionado of Taoist thought and ideas since my teens. Um, when I met my, uh, uh, my yin yoga teacher, uh, which is a very interesting um, kind of full circle for me, uh, Paul Grilly, and realized that his teacher, Pauli Zink, had learned his uh, yin yoga and his Kung Fu style from a Chinese, um, uh, a Cantonese from the south of China um, teacher. Um, we realized that uh, modern yin yoga, as taught by uh, Paul Grilly, as learned um, and certainly influenced by Pauli Zink, um, is hugely impacted by uh, the Taoist idea. Yin yoga is simply, is almost bare stripped, bare bones stripped back yoga. You don't need a mat, you don't need props necessarily. You're just sitting there and doing nothing. And as you do nothing, well, anyone who's practiced yin yoga will know, so much happens. So much happens on the physical level. Uh, we're talking yin yoga a lot about uh, our fascia and our muscles and working with our joints and chi. But so much also happens on the emotional and even psycho, even spiritual uh, level. Um, as you realize uh, or as you play with empty time where you have nothing to do, as you sit down and, and kind of stew and, and nourish yourself in these deep, long-held, non-muscular stresses. So the fact that yin yoga is now one of the yoga world's most uh, wonderfully popular styles growing out from nothing almost 10 15 years ago is 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 wonderful for me because the yin yoga practice is directly related to uh, the chinese medicine model of health in chinese in yin yoga we are working with meridians or fascial trains or lines of muscles lines of tissue lines of um lines of of structure uh, and and uh, transfer of of energy along those um, in the practice and that is so close to for example qigong and tai chi and even some of the martial arts and certain certainly uh, chinese medicine and the and the philosophy of there is a dynamic go get em kind of gym life if you like where you where you build abs and build biceps and and do reps, etc. But there's an aspect to health also, which is a letting go, which is a doing nothing. That is very much a yin yang idea. There is one approach, but there's also a simpler approach. And there are many, many uh, uh, wonderful characters in modern culture. Uh, Keanu Reeves, for example, strikes me as as one Jeff Bridges, if you know uh, 
uh, Jeff Bridges from, particularly from the wonderful movie The Big Lebowski, which I highly recommend. He's basically a Taoist uh, uh, in a uh, in a dressing gown, wandering around town, looking for somebody who just stole his uh, dining room uh, rug, and uh, he's he's not happy without it. Um, <laughs> yes, you heard me right. Running around town in his uh, in his uh, dressing gown. Um, so the yin yang idea, the Taoist philosophy, is a long old one, coming way back from the ideas of and the mythology of shamans who could talk to nature, who could change change shape, slowly over time to becoming formalized. Um, and trying to write down and understand and communicate that to uh, to us as to how how the forces of nature work, how the flows of ups and downs and and this and that and highs and lows and health and non-health are, and allowing us like uh, like a surfer on a wave, like a musician, a jazz musician in a piece which they've never played before jamming with other musicians helping us consider and more importantly helping us feel uh, how we could uh, or just know I think feeling is feeling is your you're examining a feeling but just know very much like in Star Wars um, quotes of Yoda when he says things like uh, do or do not there is no try that kind of thing Obviously, George Lucas and the Star Wars mythology uh, story is very, very influenced by uh, Taoist ideas. If you'd like a good book to read on um, Taoism, but you don't want to tax your brain too much, I highly recommend Benjamin Hoff's Tao of Pooh. Benjamin Hoff's um, very small book is very clever in that it uses um, the characters of Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and Eeyore um, and the Owl and Tigger to, to he uses them as caricatures to explain and of course our hero is Pooh Bear himself who simply kind of just wanders through life um, and every now and again gets a tub of honey and is incredibly happy it is a wonderful uh, read uh, in a is an introduction to the Taoist world um, so uh, if you are uh, thinking of buying yourself a, a book and gifting yourself a way into the Taoist um, philosophy, it's a wonderful start. Wow, that was a, a, a long race through. I hope you've enjoyed it. The Taoist uh, philosophy is a, is a very big one. You can understand it in a second, like, oh, totally, this is the way I'm going to live my life from now on. I'm just going to go with the flow. Or it can be it can be very very easy, or it can be very complex. Um, there is so much poetry and philosophy and um, theory which can go with this idea, um, which is kind of a, a, a ironic in that the aim of Taoism is just to be is to live a uh, is to live a life which is very spontaneous without too much thinking. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, race through Taoist philosophy. We study this a lot on our yin yoga program. I'd love to have you come in where we dive into it more. Um, come and join me anytime. It would be lovely to have you. But that's it for now. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful time wherever you are. And I'll see you around. Bye-bye.